0: What does it mean to be an author? That probably sounds like a stupid question. All you have to do is get an idea, put a bunch of words together in some order that makes sense, although I bet we've all read stuff from authors who did none of those things. Maybe find a way to get somebody else to listen or read, and bingo, bango, bongo, you're an author. More seriously, authorship also usually connotes creativity, productivity, inventiveness, and originality. My fellow travelers in the library field, those intrepid catalogers who design precise tools to find just the right work in an ever-growing, if not wine-dark sea of the human record, prefer the term statement of responsibility to denote authorship, and while that sounds bureaucratic and a bit weird, it resonates. An author is responsible for a work, and if you think about it, in two different ways— responsible for it being created, and responsible for what it says, no matter how long it survives. One author, though, did even more. She not only was responsible for a series of works which have survived a very long time, she may also be responsible for the idea of being responsible. She may be the origin of authorship itself a document that changed the world, a hymn now known as the Exaltation of Inanna, composed by the high priestess Inhejuana in the Sumerian city-state of Ur, around 2300 BCE. I'm Joe Janes of the University of Washington Information School, and in this episode, we're going way back, about as far back as we can go. And Hejuana's father was Sargon, who one source refers to as a charismatic usurper and who united a number of city-states into the first Mesopotamian empire. This didn't go over universally well, so in a savvy move, he appoints his daughter to be a high priestess to calm the waters and solidify his position. Whatever she did, it worked, and the high priestess job stayed with princesses for another 500 years and her job became her name. En means high priestess, and Nana was the moon god, en Hejuana. It's remarkable that we know this much about a woman who lived over 4,000 years ago in what is present-day southern Iraq, at the same time as the old kingdom in Egypt and the rise of maize and pottery in Mesoamerica at roughly the middle of the Bronze Age in Europe. It's even more remarkable why we know so much about her, which is primarily through her writings. She produced a quite impressive body of work, including a series of hymns dedicated to temples, a number of other works known to us in fragments, and the best known, a 153-line hymn, which has no known title of its own, but which has been designated by modern scholars as the Exaltation of Inanna. Inanna was the Sumerian queen of heaven and goddess of love, related to the Akkadian Ishtar, and in the hymn, Enheduana praises her and then asks for her help, and moreover, vengeance in reclaiming her position in home after being exiled due to some unknown political disturbance. It ends triumphantly with her return. It's quite affecting, even today. Here's a little sample. My Sumerian is a little rusty, so forgive the pronunciation. Nimelam uluda, Nam Lu ulu, Umeregin, Subaereti. When mankind comes before you in fear and trembling at your tempestuous radiance, they receive from you their just deserts. Okay. This has come to us in multiple versions. The major translation in 1968 lists at least 50 manuscripts on clay tablets, including some from several hundred years after its composition, so it seems that this hymn survived and was important for a long time. We also know her from a limestone disc showing her in worship now at the University of Pennsylvania Museum. Let's put this in a little bit more context. The origins of writing are a bit murky, but it's safe to say that people were writing purposefully by about 3000 BCE, and the oldest literature is about 2600 BCE. This puts the exaltation among the very first works we know, a little earlier than the first parts of the Epic of Gilgamesh, 500 or so years before the Code of Hammurabi and the Rig Veda, 700 years before the Egyptian Book of the Dead, more than a 1,000 years before the I Ching, and 1,500 before the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the Hebrew Bible. In other words, this is really old, among the oldest things we actually have. Many sources describe Enhejuana as the earliest known author, and also, coincidentally, one of the earliest women in history whose name has survived, though almost always without any citation or definitive, dare one say, authoritative source. And then they move on to tell her story of her political, social, and religious impact and importance, describing her works, and so on. What I find stunning here is how that completely breezes past the most extraordinary aspect, the first known author. Even if she's not, and okay, it's impossible to be conclusive about this, not to mention new evidence could always come along to dislodge her, but let's not bury the lead here. Somebody had to be the first person to think of recording, I wrote this, and she may well have been that person. The idea of writing, of taking credit, of authorship is so deeply ingrained, so common now, it's difficult to fully appreciate how profound this development is. As I said, authorship comes with responsibility for the writing itself and also the ideas and results of those ideas. In the contemporary world, authorship also brings Rights in the form of copyright, and the opportunity to protect the ways in which expressions of ideas can be copied, shared, and used, including potential monetary reward. More deeply, there is credit and blame to be had for works noble and toxic and everywhere in between. And names matter. We use author names in many settings, such as libraries and bookstores, to bring together a coherent body of an author's work, because that's often what people are looking for. Works that are anonymous or pseudonymous often engender curiosity about who really wrote it, which can even migrate to contempt when a well-known author like Stephen King or J.K. Rowling writes under another name as, somehow, as though somehow that's not fair or appropriate couple of final notable aspects here. One is the overt nature of the creative process in the exaltation. There's a section of the hymn that explicitly describes its own composition in a kind of maternal way. I have given birth, O exalted lady, to this song for you, which somehow seems very contemporary. As does this, Who hasn't been fired, or heartbroken, or feel like the world was out to get you? But now I am placed in the leper's ward. The light is obscured about me. The shadows approach the light of day. My mellifluous mouth is cast into confusion. My choicest features are turned to dust. And wants to even the score. This city, may it be cursed. May its plaintive child not be placated by his mother. After something like 200 generations, her bitterness, her pain, and the satisfaction in her ultimate victory ring very true to modern ears. Throughout the poem, Enhejuana uses the first person and twice refers to herself by name. In the process of speaking to her goddess, she also speaks to us, in her own voice, from a time so long ago we can barely imagine it. By impressing marks in tablets of clay, first wet, then baked, she recorded her faith, her hopes, her fears, herself. For dozens of centuries, those tablets went unread and unremembered until they were rediscovered and translated. And so now Enhejuana speaks to us again and still.